morning, church family. My name is Pastor Mark. I got a haircut, if you didn't recognize me. If you're uh, visiting, actually, my name is Pastor Rick, as the name tag says. But uh, Pastor Mark and his family are uh, visiting Megan's folks on the mainland, having some vacation time with them. So uh, um, we're trusting a real time of blessing for Mark and his family. And uh, our lead pastor will be back next week. Um, the story, um, uh, I love this story because it, it uh, in many ways reminds me of my own childhood, okay? The story goes like this. There was uh, a lady who was um, speaking over the fence, talking over the fence with her neighbor, and she was lamenting the fact that her two young boys, that's where I fit in, I was like one of those two young boys, Johnny and Billy just kept getting into trouble, they just kept getting in trouble. She had tried every way to discipline them that she could, but they just kept getting into trouble, and it was wearing her down. And her neighbor said, well, you know, um, have you thought about going down to the local pastor and talking with him? Maybe he could help you. Well, this lady was so desperate, she thought, why not? I'll make an appointment. I'll go and talk to the pastor and see if he can help me with these two incorrigible boys. So she made an appointment. She took Johnny and Billy down to the church office. And what the pastor said was, ma'am, if you wouldn't mind sitting in the waiting room with, with uh, one of the boys, I'll take the other boy in my office and have a chat with him. So the older of the two boys, Johnny, goes in and he's sitting in his chair across the desk from this fairly stern pastor. And this pastor uh, looks at Johnny and says, uh, Johnny, where is God? Well, Johnny doesn't know what to do or what to say, so he just wiggles a little bit, doesn't say anything. He's uncomfortable and a little awkward. And the pastor leans over on his desk and looks Johnny in the eye and says, Johnny, where is God? Well, <laughs> Johnny gets more uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to say and doesn't say anything, and then finally the pastor stands up and leans over and looks him in the eye and says, Johnny, where is God? At this point, Johnny's had enough. He jumps out of his chair. He runs into the waiting room, and he says, Billy, we got to get out of here. They've lost God, and they're trying to pin it on us. <laughs> well, I love that story because it kind of reminds me of some elements of my childhood, but here's the thing. I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but in a real sense, you and I live in a nation that in many ways has lost God. In many ways has lost God. Some observations, okay? When it comes to the value of, of, of um, life in the womb, that God created this miracle and gave it to us, that, that we have the, the gift and the privilege of creating life in the womb, and yet our nation makes it legal to destroy that life in the womb, doesn't follow God's will or God's ways when it comes to life in the womb. Or um, another observation, God made this beautiful gift of marriage. He, he created male and female in his image and gave them the gift of marriage. And yet our nation says, well, we're going to legalize marriage and define it any way we want. Thank you very much. We're not going to uh, pay attention to God's ways um, for marriage. We'll, thank you. We'll do what we think is good. Observation number three, and this one uh, has really just kind of uh, risen more so in the last few years. God creates male and female. There's really two genders, and yet our nation says, well, we're going to define gender any way we want, and we're also going to make it legal for people born with male bodies to compete in female sports. <laughs> and, and, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, and um, now, please hear me right um, our response always to people who may have different moral standards in life um, is always to love. Jesus says, this is the mark of my followers, that you love people, not that you... Uh, he doesn't say that this is the mark of my followers, that you have all the right moral standards. <laughs> um, moral standards, are, but Jesus says that you love people. So yes, people who um, have uh, experienced um, uh, abortion or people who have... Um, uh, pursuing different lifestyles in marriage or, or people that are uh, struggling with their gender and, and what that means, um, our response is always to love. It's not to condemn or to, to criticize or, and worst of all, to be, uh, what, self-righteous. Um, that isn't the spirit of Christ. I'm simply observing that we're living in a world that in so many ways it says, 
thanks, God, but no thanks. Uh, we're going to do what's right in our own eyes. You want another example? This one is really crazy. I don't know if you've seen on TV. There are places in our country where they are locking up inside stores because of the shoplifting thing, because the... the uh, the law enforcement people said, we're not going to enforce shoplifting uh, for less than $1,000. So people have gone in and known that they can take a thousand, less than $1,000 worth of stuff and just walk out the door and nobody's going to bother them. In fact, if the employee tries to bother them, they might get well fired. Does that make a lot of sense? Remember one of God's great top 10, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> you don't take other people's properties, but our country says, well, if it's less than 1000 no big deal. We won't do anything about it. My point is simply this. In so many ways, we live in a nation that has lost God. And um, in that situation, what God is looking for, what he's looking for in your life and what he's looking for in my life is people of major faith. I love that title because Hebrew says it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That people throughout history have pleased God have walked in relationship with him, and at the heart of it is faith. God is calling you and me to live and exercise faith. And people have done it throughout history. And in this series, we're looking at some of the heroes in the faith from the Old Testament and um, how they show us how to walk that life of faith. This morning, we're going to look at an amazing lady. Her name is Ruth. I don't know if you uh, know Ruth's story, but Ruth is a hero of the faith. She exercises major faith, and she lived in a day that is very similar to ours, very parallel to ours. Um, she lived in a day of national apostasy, where the nation had lost God, where they had decided not to follow the Lord, but to go after other gods, to go after um, the, uh, the gods of the Canaanites and gods of other tribes and idol worship. And with that idol worship came immorality because uh, those idols were, were related to fertility worship. And, and so they had all these sorts of immoral practices involved with the, the idolatry. Um, it was a time of national apostasy when Israel needed a righteous king. They needed a righteous leader. It was the days of the judges. And so uh, if you follow along in your notes, Ruth's personal sense, the, the world that she lived in was very similar to ours in this sense. Um, we live in a nation that in so many ways has lost God. Israel during the days of the judges, and if you follow a timeline, you can look it up in your study Bible. It was about from 1,400 years before Christ to about 1,000 years before Christ. That's the uh, period of the judges. Those were the days in which Ruth lived. And um, it's, I've got the uh, notes in your text, it's, uh, your, the, uh, the verse in your text. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Why is that significant? Because God was going to raise up a righteous king. But he didn't do it in the day of the judges. Every man, this is a key and this is so descriptive of our nation. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, not in God's eyes, not in what God had created, not in what God had designed, not in what God had willed, but they did what was right in their own eyes. And uh, so there's, a, there's a, a parallel point there, and that's the point of the book of Judges. It mentions it twice, and two other times it says this, um, that Israel had no king in those days. There, there was a need for a righteous leader who would lead them in following Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. So they weren't living in covenant relationship. It was dark and immoral days. But not only did Ruth live in those days, but she also lived with personal tragedy. Personal tragedy. Here's the short story. She was not even an Israelite. She was a lady in Moab, a Moabites, a different nation. And what had happened was Elimelech and Naomi, two Israelites, had gone down to Moab because there was famine in the land. And... Um, what happened was uh, her two sons, uh, Naomi's two sons, got married to these Moabite girls, and then everyone dies. Talk about tragedy. Look at the verse. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, she died. He died. That's a tragedy in that day because in that culture, women were totally dependent on men for their financial provision. Women couldn't just go out and get a job, and there was no government assistance. They were totally dependent upon men. So if your husband died, well, then... You were dependent on your family. She had two sons, but guess what? They died. The two sons died. 
She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. That's where we get introduced to Ruth, this Moabitess. And both Malin and Kilian also died. doesn't say how they died, but all the men are dying. And so you've got these three widows left. And they're empty. And they're in poverty. They have no financial way to take care of themselves. They're in personal tragedy. Um, poverty, no one to care for them, no one to provide for them, and uh, helpless. And so... Um, tragedy happens. We don't know the circumstances in Ruth's tragedy, but all the men in the family died, and they were left destitute. If I didn't need a reminder this last week that tragedy happens, Monday morning, first phone call I get was from a friend, actually a friend's wife, who, uh, and you may have seen it on the news, two young men, they were employees of my friend's company, um, died in this terrible tragedy of a diving accident. And uh, one's 32 years old, the other one's uh, 20, 28, 29 years old. They leave six young children without a dad. And tragedy happens. Accidents happen. Uh, people die and uh, find themselves in tragic circumstances. And yes, it was a gift to be able to go over and just um, uh, counsel and, and care for and, and seek to minister to people that were going through shock um, with the tragedy that happened with their, with their workmates, with their colleagues, with the, the community that worked in that business. But it was just a reminder that tragedy happens. Lives are uh, touched and hurt and uh, often left with deep financial need. That was Ruth's circumstance. But in her circumstance of national apostasy, uh, living in a country that had, had lost God, uh, and also in her personal tragedy, Ruth shines this brilliant light of major faith. And um, I want us to notice, and it's there in your notes, what, what did Ruth do that showed her major faith? I've tried to summarize it this way. She chose to follow the Lord, and, and um, he, the Lord will fill your life with joy. That's applying it to us. What Ruth did was she made a life-defining decision to follow Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is Jesus. Jesus, when he came, he took that name upon himself. I am who I am. The name that, that, that uh, God had given to Moses when he came into history. This is in Exodus chapter 3. He says, Moses said, what, should I, what name do you, what, what should I tell people who, who sent me? And the Lord gave himself that name. Yahweh, I am who I am. The Lord, if you didn't know this in your English Bible, if it's translated capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, um, that's Yahweh. That's the Lord, um, I am who I am. If it's small capitals, it's master, uh, Lord as in he's the master of the house. So that's how you can tell just when you read your English. But here's the thing. Ruth, this Moabitess, when tragedy hits her family, she commits herself to following Naomi, supporting Naomi, and following Naomi's God. The verse is there in your text. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you. She's talking to Naomi. Uh, or to turn back from you and catch this. This is an expression of her loyal covenant love, which is a reflection of Yahweh's loyal covenant love. He's known that way throughout the scriptures. But she says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, this is the most important, your God, my God. She makes a life-defining decision that she's going to follow Yahweh, Israel's covenant-keeping God, and she's going to devote herself to Ruth and be that caregiver in Ruth's life. This is a beautiful expression of her major faith. Um, and when she does that, she says, I'm not going to follow Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, who had multiple gods, as all the other nations. I'm not going to follow Chemosh and those gods. I'm going to identify, and I'm going to put my faith in Yahweh, your God, the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God, the God of Israel, of, of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so she makes that life-defining decision to put her faith in the Lord, and I'm going to say the Lord Jesus because he's the same one, and, um, and what God does, this is the story of her life. God fills her life with joy, fills her life with favor, fills her life with blessing. 
That's the thing, please don't miss it. If you remember anything about this morning, that's the message of, of uh, Ruth's life, that when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus, he will fill your life with his favor, with his blessing, with his joy. So two things happen with uh, Ruth when she does that. She makes that life-defining decision, and two things happen to her that happen to us as well when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus. Number one, he will adopt you into her family. Ruth gets, this Moabite uh, foreigner, gets adopted into the family of God into Israel. And so she's, I've just given you a couple of verses. When she meets um, uh, Boaz, who's going to become her husband in time, he says, why, she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? A foreigner. I'm an outsider. I don't have any claim on God. I don't have any covenant with God. But I'm a foreigner and yet, what does Moab say, uh, Boaz say? May you be richly rewarded by Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Beautiful picture, like a mother hen gathering her chicks for protection, for warmth, for care. And you have taken refuge. You've been adopted into God's family. The same thing happens with you and me as followers of Christ. And by the way, if you've ever felt like an outsider... Maybe you felt like an outsider because you weren't raised in church, or you didn't have a Christian family, or maybe you got in trouble with the law, or you've struggled with an addiction, or you've experienced financial bankruptcy. Maybe you felt like, yeah, I'm an outsider. The beautiful thing is God delights to take outsiders into his family. That's what he does with Ruth. That's what he did with you and me, because frankly, none of us have a claim on God. But God has such a heart of compassion and mercy that he sent Jesus into the world to adopt anyone who would put their faith in Jesus, including you and including me. And that's what happens. You put your faith in Jesus, you trust him, and you become an adopted son in his eternal family. You become a precious daughter in his forever family, and that's your identity. You're a child of God. You're a daughter of the king. You're, you're um, a son of the king of, of heaven. And we get a whole new identity because we get adopted into his family. Well, Ruth was adopted into that family of God as well. And then there's a second thing that happens with Ruth. She gets adopted into God's family as she sets her heart on the Lord, on Yahweh. And for us, when we set our heart on the Lord Jesus, he will turn our emptiness into joy. Again, this is uh, the story of Ruth. It's the story of Naomi. And I've just given you the end of the story, but it's how... These two ladies who were empty financially, who were empty relationally, who were in desperation, set their hearts on the Lord, and the Lord filled their lives with his favor, with his provision, with his blessing. That's the story of Ruth. So Boaz took Ruth. This is at the end of the story. She uh, ends up meeting Boaz. They get married. They have a baby. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive a gift from God in the womb, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will catch this. He will renew your life. You were empty, and he's going to fill your life. And he will sustain you in your old age. He will provide for you, even though you lost your husband and your sons. For your daughter-in-law, and by the way, you may have heard, you know, when Ruth says, um, where you go, I will go, your people, my people, your God, my God. You may have heard that quoted at a wedding. I haven't heard it lately, but I've heard that quoted at a wedding. It's a beautiful expression of covenant love in a marriage ceremony, but it's actually between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. And uh, this is what the women say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you. And who is better to you than seven sons. Seven, the number of completion, perfection. This is better than the fullness of sons. And because um, you have this love of, of uh, Ruth in your life. And with that, she has given uh, birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms, Grandma Naomi, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. It ends with family, with joy, with provision, with blessing, with fullness. And uh, that's the story of her life. He will fill your emptiness with joy. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will do exactly the same thing in your life and in my life. So how do we exercise major faith like Ruth did? Okay, I want to be very practical. Two uh, 
encouragements, two challenges that I want to share with you out of uh, lessons from from, uh, Ruth's major faith. And here's the first one. Again, it's in your notes. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Say, that's foundational. It is. First, trust Jesus as your Savior. She put her life in Yahweh's hands. And when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you that when you died on the cross and rose from the dead, that you will forgive my sins. That's the promise of the good news of the gospel. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, well, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2, uh, 9 and 10. You are saved. You're made right with God. You're given the gift of eternal life. You uh, get to go to heaven when you die. By God's grace, by his sheer goodness, his undeserved favor to you, but through faith, through faith, apart from works, that is your personal decision to trust Jesus, what he did on the cross, that makes you right with God, apart from your works. Now, works are important, but it's not how you get saved. I, uh, uh, if, I think that if you asked many people on our streets, if you asked many of your family members, how do you get to go to heaven? How do you be right with God? How do you be saved? There are a lot of people think, oh, well, it's by being a good person. (laughs) It's by what you do. Hopefully you do more good things than bad things and God accepts you. It's got nothing to do with your works. It's apart from your works. It's based on what Jesus has done on the cross for you and you accepting that by faith. That might be the first time um, you realize that. Maybe you've been thinking, you know, I need to be right with God. I need to go to church. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better wife. It's got nothing to do with being a better person. It's got everything to do with trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. You're saved by grace through your faith. And so maybe this morning, uh, if you're on a journey, maybe, wow, it'll just click in this morning. And today will be your day to say, God, I've been trusting in other things but I'm going to trust in Jesus alone and what he did on the cross for my sins. And I want to receive that gift and uh, enter into relationship with you based on faith. That's the starting point, is to trust Jesus as your savior. It's a very personal decision. Your parents can't make it for you. Your kids can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. You have to make it for you in the depth of your own heart. And, uh, That's a foundational decision, and I want to emphasize that this morning. Again, maybe by the end of uh, service, uh, you can just pray in the privacy of your heart and and open your heart in faith to Jesus as your Savior. But here's the second thing, and it's not really step one, step two. They go together. But Ruth shows major faith in that she looks to Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, for her salvation, but she also follows him um, with her entire life. And so my second encouragement is this, trust Jesus as your Lord. Now, Jesus is one person. He's not two persons, Savior and Lord. He's one person, Savior and Lord. When you trust him as your Savior, he becomes your Lord. But I, um, my experience in my own life and with those that I've ministered over the years, people are learning that and growing in that. And that's a good thing to grow in that, Okay. In other words, uh, it's not a matter of just accepting Jesus as your Savior and then living your life according to your own terms. It's about living your life under His Lordship because He is Savior and Lord. And so trust Jesus as your Lord. What does that mean? Submit every area of your life to Jesus. That's what we learn. That's what we grow in. And can I just share a personal breakthrough experience? I I learned this at 18 years old. I was raised in a Christian family. I had parents who loved the Lord, and I went to church and and understood my... But I just turned uh, 18 years old. I attended a conference in Urbana, Illinois. I was involved with InterVarsity, and they had this awesome conference. So we traveled down. We were college students. And here was the theme of the conference, and it should be the theme of your life and of mine. Theme of the conference was this. Lord of the universe, Lord of my life. Did you get that? Lord of the universe, Lord of my life. And what I realized at 18 years old was there were areas of my life that I hadn't even thought about bringing under the lordship, the leadership of Jesus. Okay? I was a college student. I didn't have a job. Well, I had just worked my first summer job in the summer, but the idea of 
of, of bringing my, my career, my job under the lordship of Jesus just hadn't entered my life. I wasn't married, so yeah, I wanted to, to uh, get married someday, but because I wasn't married, I didn't know or even think about how do I bring my marriage relationship under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I obviously wasn't a parent, um, all of these things, but here's where the Holy Spirit broke through to me. He said, Ricky, you're a student. Yeah, I'm a college student. What does it mean to have Jesus be the Lord of your life as a college student? I hadn't even thought about that. I was an athlete. I was playing college athletics. Rick, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of your life as a football player at the University of Calgary? Wow, I need to bring these areas of my life that I hadn't even thought about under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, I didn't have an income (laughs) because I was a, a student. But I hadn't even thought about, well, when I do get an income, how do I bring my finances, my personal finances, under the lordship of... I hadn't even thought about those things. I needed to grow in those things, okay? Um, I wasn't serving in a church. I was attending a church, but I was basically being blessed by that church, and I wasn't serving in the church, and I hadn't even thought about how uh, submitting my life of service in the family of God. So there were the, all, all these areas of my life that, Lord of the universe, and now I was being challenged, how do I bring every one of these areas of my life under the lordship of Jesus? Because he is my savior, and at the same time, he's my Lord. And um, let me give you an image of this. I, uh, I saw this a few years later. Uh, a gentleman in, in the church I was attending at the time, he was an electrician. His name was Greg, and Greg came to faith in Christ, and he was one of these guys. When he came to faith in Christ, his wife came to faith in Christ, and then his business partner came to faith in Christ, and then their employees, and there was a whole section of the church that came to faith in Christ because of Greg. And you know what Greg said? As an electrician, he was an electrician. He said, you know, when I accepted Christ, Christ became the owner of my house. He became the owner, the Lord of my house. He didn't use that word, but he said, Jesus became the owner of my life, of my house. But I had to rewire every, he was an electrician, he had to rewire every room in his house under the lordship of Jesus. That's not a bad image. That's what happens when you trust Christ. You have to bring every room of your life, and some of them you never may have thought about. Well, that started me at 17 years old, and as my life grew, yes, I grew in bringing, and I'm still on the journey, as you are trusting, showing major faith in Jesus, yes, as my Savior, but the one on whom I bring into submission every area of my life. And if you've uh, walked this journey, you know it always isn't an easy journey. There will be battles because there's things you'll want to hold on to in your own life and not give up to him. But if you realize that when you give those things in submission to God, he's just waiting to fill his life, your life with his favor, with his blessing. And, um, and that's the encouragement that we see from Ruth's life. So let me get very practical here. Submit your family relationships to the Lord Jesus. If you're single, look and ask God for that person that, that will be the right person for you to marry and, and, in, and live out a covenant love of, of marriage with a, with a kindred spirit and faith in the Lord Jesus. If you're uh, already married, uh, submit your current relationship and, and seek for the Lord to be the master, the leader in your marriage relationship. In your parenting, and I'm learning this, in your grandparenting, <laughs> in all of your family relationships, submit them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share with you, and some of you know uh, part of the story, But when I was 26 years old, I was like Ruth in some ways, in my family relationships, empty. Now, I wasn't a widow. I hadn't married someone, but I didn't have a wife. And um, I'd had a positive model of marriage in my parents. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. But God was calling me to go off to a distant land, Dallas, Texas, and enroll enroll in a four-year program and study, study, study. And I made a deal with God. Okay, I'll go, and I'll trust you that when I'm 30 years old... You'll bring that right woman. I trusted actively that God would bring my wife into my life, and I thought it would be four years down the road. In his grace, it didn't take four years. But uh, when I left, and I didn't know, when I attended Dallas Seminary, they had just started letting women into their program. There were like 12 women, and I think 1,300 men, something like that. And, and Martha was one of those women, okay? Uh, I'll save you the details because um, I know you look like you're getting hungry and lunch is coming. (laughs) I could talk all day about it. So here's what happened. I met Martha uh, in that first year. We got married the next summer. So this was step one in God filling my empty life relationally because I trusted him. I said, I'm going to trust you with that person. And um, 
When we graduated three years later, I had a family. I had uh, Steve, oh, back, yeah, the one on the, um, the, the larger one, that preached the word, that's the theme of, of uh, the seminary attended, and uh, God had given us Steve, uh, God had given us Will, Martha, and you can't see Mark, she's just the, he's the bump in, in Martha's tummy, but we had two and a half boys, uh, Martha was pregnant with Mark at that time, and God was what? He was taking my empty family relationship, and he was filling it up. I uh, wasn't totally full until we had four boys in four years, and he was blessing us. He was prospering me, and it was simply because I had placed my trust in my family life, and yes, the next one, we moved to Hawaii in 1996, and uh, the boys are growing, the family's growing, and the last one, again, I could show you my family pictures all morning, just two years ago, we had a, a family um, gathering, and uh, married sons, daughter-in-laws, grandchildren, this is the story of Pastor Rick's life. He started off empty, <laughs> trusting the Lord with his family relationships, and at this point, I am blessed with joy, with favor, with abundance, with children, with grandchildren, and um, that's what God will do for you. I, I share this not to commend myself, but just to say, I know it works. It's true. It's God's word, that whatever family relationship you're in, whether you're single, married, grandparent, put your faith, follow Jesus, trust him and he will show you his favor in whatever way he wants. Number two, submit to you your church relationships to the Lord Jesus, because the church is what? The family of God. It's just the extended family. And you, uh, you may think, I'm preaching to the choir. You're already at church. Yes, I'm blessed that you're here. And uh, that's part of it, Sunday morning, worship, uh, teaching, uh, fellowship, service together. But I want to reiterate what Jason said, two key elements. Um, submitting your church Family relationships um, involves, we believe, a small group relationship. Involves meeting with other Christians in a smaller group for relationships, for prayer, for study, um, in a much deeper way that we can do on Sunday morning with the whole crowd. And um, this is part of God's will for your life, um, for growth, for ministry, and he will bring great joy into your life. And, and can I just encourage you, some of you that have never been in a small group, you might say, well, that seems kind of strange to me, or don't believe the lie. Here's the lie. You don't have time to be in a small group. Really, think about that. It takes two, maybe two and a half hours a week to be consistently involved in a small group. With travel time, two and a half hours. Um, can I just challenge you? How, much, uh, how many hours of TV or social media did you do two, two and a half hours? You can be in a... Oh, I see a few people being stung by that. I, I, I don't want to put criticism, condemnation. I just want to say it's a lie to say I can't take two and a half hours a week to be involved in a small group. It's just not true. You can. And can I just share with you again, what, what Jesus wants to do is when you submit that area of your life unto him, he's going to fill your life with blessing. Okay, now I, by God's grace, stumbled upon this when I was a young adult. Uh, I'm 22, 23 years old. I'm, a, I'm a, at that point uh, uh, a teacher in a high school, and um, our church had never had small groups. Now, I know this is a long time ago. This was back in the 1970s. Our church had never had small groups. We'd had a Wednesday night prayer meeting and missions. In the leadership of the church, it was happening all over across the church in North America. They were starting to meet in small groups. And our church said, hey, we're going to have small groups. And you know what they did? They assigned us. If you lived in these this blocks or this block, you got assigned to a group. So I, I, me and my roommates, I had a couple of young adult roommates, we got assigned to a group. And it wasn't all young adults. There was a couple in there uh, who were like grandparents. There were two middle-aged couple, couples that had kids in high school. There was a single mom with kids in junior high. Uh, there was an older lady who had never been married. And uh, then there were us three young adults. It was like a family. I, I, could, uh, I can see all of those people my very first, and there was such joy in that. There was such blessing in that. Um, young adults, we would take the kids of the single mom. When we went skiing, that's what you did in Alberta in the winter, you went skiing, we'd just take them along and be like an older brother and sister. Do you think that meant something to that young mom, uh, to that single mom? You bet it did. And those, one of those ladies, last time it was years ago, um, and I told you, it's in the 1970s, so that was a long time ago. I was visiting my family in Calgary, the home church. One of those ladies actually ran across the foyer when she saw me, and I hadn't been in Calgary for years. Why? Because I was like an adopted son to her. I mean, there's some bonds you make in those groups that last a lifetime. 
And even though I hadn't seen her for probably 20, 25 years, um, she was running out to meet her, <laughs> her, her prodigal son who had come home to church in Calgary. Anyway, uh, the point is simply this. Uh, I learned in that experience, and to be honest, I've been in a small group ever since, through graduate school, and you, as pastoring, yes, I've seen build that into the life of the church, because God wants to bless and show his favor to those who engage relationships in the body of Christ in small groups. And then there's also the, uh, the whole area of serving with a service team. Um, can I encourage some of you, it's going to be a breakthrough in your life to submit your life to our attend a small group. It's going to be a breakthrough in your life to uh, participate in a service team. And I loved what Jason shared this morning. That's how we do a family in church. As teams, uh, all of these different groups serving according to their gifts, serving, to, serving according to their interests. The Word of God tells you that God has gifted you with spiritual gifts as a follower of Jesus. What are you doing with those gifts to serve others? Join a team, get involved, and God will fill your life with His favor. And uh, I'm, one, one uh, quick story, I thought of this this last week. Again, not to commend myself, but these are things that I've learned along the way. When I was at graduate school, before I met Martha, I attended this church. And um, it was a couple's church. And um, guys, you can hold the music. I'm going to be a little while yet. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm uh, attending as a single man. I walked into that church. It was all couples. And everyone was paying attention to themselves as couples. And I felt kind of like an outsider as a single man. And I went home the next week and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to that church and I'm going to test the church. I'm going to walk in and not engage one conversation, just see if anybody speaks to me. And I did that. I gave it a test. Not one person spoke to me. I literally walked in. Uh, there weren't greeters at that church, but I was given a bulletin, sat down, sat through the service, walked out afterwards. No one spoke to me. So I went home and I said, wah, 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 God, what a terrible church. No, I didn't. Here's what I did. I said... And I, it was by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I said, I'm going to go back next week, and I'm going to make someone's day. <laughs> I don't know who, and I don't know how, but I'm going to go in that church. I'm going to find someone. I'm going to make their day. I didn't know what it meant. So I went there. Guess what? I walked into the foyer, and there was Tyler. I still remember his name. Junior high kid, eighth grade, standing there all by himself. So I said, I'm going to go and make Tyler. His, I didn't even know his name. I'm going to go and make... I walked up and I said, hey, my name's Rick. What's your name? Tyler. What do you do, Tyler? Well, I'm, um, I'm in football training camp. What? Football? I mean, bingo. I was a former football player, right? Oh, well, let's talk. What, what kind of training are you doing? How's your bench press? How are you improving your 40 speed? I mean, we had all this stuff together in common in football. We talked football. And my whole thing was to make Tyler's day. Next Sunday, I showed up. Tyler comes across the foyer, wants to talk to me, brings two of his buddies. We're just chatting, junior high kids, okay? About life, about whatever. The next week after that, this elder, this leader in the church looks over, and here's this young adult with this group of junior high kids hanging around, talking to him. And it was simply because I went there to make somebody else's day. It wasn't about me. And so you know what that... A leader of the church did. He said, hey, we're looking for a junior high teacher. Would you be willing to teach our junior high class? I said, sure, I'll teach your junior high class. I started teaching that junior high class. Three weeks later in the mail, I get a check. I get a check, $150. Now, I'd been involved in all sorts of ministry. I'd never been paid for doing ministry. Nobody told me I was going to be paid for this. So I, and it was from the church. I thought, wow, that was enough to pay my rent in graduate school. And uh, so I went to the, the leader of the church. I said, you know, uh, I didn't expect to get paid. He says, oh, no, we like to, we, we like to pay for those that are uh, ministering to our youth. Please, please accept it. I said, Thank you for paying my rent. I didn't ask for it. I didn't expect it. When uh, Martha and I, I met Martha, we got married. The parents of those junior high kids had a wedding shower for us. If you came to our house, our finest china was gifts from the parents of those junior high kids. So what's my message? If you have a heart to serve other people, God will give you fine china. <laughs> I'm just saying that when you, when you have a heart to submit and to serve, I don't know how God will work out his favor in your life, but that's who he is. You trust him, you follow him, you, uh, you obey his word, and he will find ways to fill life with your favor. So, yes, your um, church relationships, your family relationships, your job, 
your career. Um, quick story, a gentleman who used to be in, a, in the small group that we met before COVID at Starbucks and studied the word, and we were a small group of men, prayer and fellowship. And um, he applied for two jobs and uh, didn't get the job that he really wanted. He uh, trusted the Lord, um, but uh, he got the second job. He didn't get the job he actually wanted. A year later, and he shared this with our men's group, a year later, the company that he had wanted the job with, they folded. They went bankrupt. They were gone. And um, he was still with the job he took. And not only that, he got promoted. And unfortunately, that promotion led him to the mainland. His family's thriving on the mainland. His wife got a great job. They're in a great church. And, and God showed him favor. He just trusted God with his employment. If you're unemployed, if you're looking for a new job, Show major faith and ask God to provide the right job for you. These are all areas in which you say, Lord, Jesus, I'm trusting you as the Lord of my life, my family relationships, my church relationships, my job, career, and here's the last one, finances. Some of us, it's going to be a major breakthrough. Maybe we're just learning. How do you make Jesus the Lord of your finances? Well, here's the first thing you do. You give back to him the first and the best of your income. Proverbs 3, and it's not in your notes, but you can jot it down. Proverbs 3, 9 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your finances, with the first fruits, not the leftovers, with the first of your income. And then what's the result? He will fill your barns to overflowing. He will fill your vats with new wine. He will bless you. He will show you favor. He will fill your life. And um, some of us need to learn that and, and just practice, say, oh, don't believe the lie. I can't afford to give. Um, give something. <laughs> give what you can. And yes, I know Hawaii is expensive and, and there's financial pressures and all of that, but it's a major act of faith when you say, Lord, I'm giving to you first and I'm going to trust you with the rest of my finances and just see what he does because he will live up to his word and he will show you an abundance. I just have to tell you this story because, uh, again, not to commend myself, but um, when Martha and I graduated from Dallas Seminary, not only did we not have a job, and we were trusting God with uh, opening a, an opportunity for ministry, but we were $10,000 in debt. How did that happen? Well, well, uh, the plan was for Rick and Martha to get married, and Martha was in a two-year program. She was going to finish, then she was going to work and have income, and I'd be able to finish, and we'd finish out of debt. God blessed us with Steve on our honeymoon, <laughs> then Will, and Martha's raising babies, and so she had to drop out of her program, and she couldn't work as she was raising these two young boys, and um, so we ran out of money after our third year, four-year program, okay? So I had a choice, either drop out of school because we were broke, uh, didn't have any money, and earn some more money, save up, and go back for my fourth year, or take out student loans, I was right in the middle of my Hebrew and Greek studies, and if you've studied languages, the worst thing you can do is stop studying them, because you know, if you don't use them, you lose them. So we made the decision, right or wrong, uh, I'm going to take out student loans, I'm going to finish my program, and I'll finish with student debt, and we'll trust God with that, and that's what we did. So we graduated $10,000 in debt, without a job. The first church that hired us paid us um, less than what I had made as a beginning high school teacher. It's a small church. And uh, so I'll just say, and you, you know this, you don't go into pastoral ministry to make a six-figure salary. You go into pastoral ministry because you feel God called you to do that, and you have a heart to do it. And uh, they paid us enough we could live on. We were paying rent. We were living. Uh, Mark was born that year. Eric came the next year. Um, so how did this pastor who graduated with debt and started making minimal salary, how did he end up owning a house in Hawaii? one of the most expensive places in the world, okay? I never made enough money in my job, even for a down payment, to save up for a down payment. And I would tell you all the details of how God has blessed us with that, except I know you want to have lunch, and these guys are wanting to <laughs> start. The... I'm going to land the plane, not worry. But I, I wanted to tell you that story again. Whatever your financial situation is, if you bring your finances under the lordship of Jesus Christ, how he does it, when he does it, I don't know, but he is the same yesterday. Today, he will fill emptiness with prosperity, with blessing, with fullness. I don't want to misguide you. I don't know any promise in the Bible that says that God will give every one of us uh, 
ownership of a home, that promise isn't there. Um, but all I know is uh, that God provided that for us. And not only that, it's a home with a pool and the grandkids come over. Are we blessed or what? It is wonderful. And it's all because of Jesus' character. And yes, uh, maybe in a personal conversation, I'll share with you the details of how God took this broke, uh, penniless pastor and ended up uh, providing a home for him. And yes, the, I have a mortgage and the bank owns a portion of that, but I'm a homeowner in Hawaii. That's a miracle. Uh, that didn't happen through normal circumstances, but just by Jesus' favor and goodness. And so my encouragement to you, whatever your financial circumstances are, trust and obey. <laughs> Put major faith in Jesus, in your finances, in your job, in your career, in everything. Now, I'm going to definitely land this plane, but I cannot let you go without two blessings from Ruth's life. And I'll make it very quick. Look to the Lord's plan for your circumstances. Here's the short version. How did Ruth meet Boaz and then end up uh, with a family and blessing? Um, it was through the regular circumstances. As it turned out, she was working in a field. She went to glean for her mother-in-law. That was how Israel provided for their poor. The, uh, the, the, uh, the law required to leave a certain amount of the land for the poor to come up and glean. She went out gleaning to provide for her and Naomi. And as it turned out, God works behind the scenes in little details to work his bigger picture. So as you submit your life to Jesus and live in the obedience of faith to him, he will be at work behind the scenes. It isn't always a big miracle like the crossing of the Red Sea or something. Sometimes it's just a connection in the circumstances of life, and he's working behind the scenes to work his blessing in your life, in Ruth's life. So look for the Lord's plan in your circumstances. Secondly, be encouraged that God's greater purpose is beyond your life. I hope you'll be encouraged with this, to live a life of major faith. You say... Um, God has a plan way beyond the, I'm going to say, the little circumstances of our lives. What was it in Ruth and Naomi's life? Well, Israel needed a righteous king. And so uh, there in your notes, uh, God works providentially, provides for Naomi, provides for Ruth. And then the women living there says, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of what? David. This Moabitess woman who showed major faith becomes, out of her lineage comes the righteous King David, Israel's greatest king, the king who had a heart after God, the king that all of the other kings in Israel's history were measured against David. He was Israel's righteous king, and he came out of the genealogy of this woman, Ruth, who had major faith. But it even gets better than that. It wasn't just King David, if you've read the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was what? Ruth. <laughs> that God was working not only to bring David into the world, the righteous king for Israel, but David's greater descendant, Jesus the Messiah, came out of Ruth. God is doing something way beyond Ruth's life. She has no idea what God is doing in the bigger picture. And you say, yeah, but that's Bible times and that's Bible people. No, it's our times and it's you and my life too. And I don't know how God will do it, but I got to tell you one story. Hang on guys. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> True story. Um, guy named Howard Hendricks. You may never have heard of Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks is a legend at Dallas Seminary. For 50 years, five, zero years, he mentored men, taught men, changed the lives of men, had a who can know what kind of influence? So names like David Jeremiah, and Charles Swindoll, and Chip Ingram, all of these guys, Rick Stinton was one of the guys, they were all mentored by Prof. Hendricks. We just called him the Prof. Wonderful man. How did the Prof come to faith in Jesus Christ? He was a boy from a broken home in Philadelphia. And this older gentleman named Walt, as he's told the story, I've never heard him tell the name of the last name, but it's this guy named Walt. Walt wanted to teach a Sunday school class at his church. They didn't have any kids <laughs> in the church. So the Sunday school superintendent says, if you go out in the community, recruit some kids, you can have a Sunday school class. Walt goes out there, and you know what he does? He grabs some kids in the community. He says, I'll play you marbles, and um, if, if you uh, beat me at marbles, you get to win my marbles. If I beat you, you can keep your marbles, but you got to come to church and be in my Sunday school class. <laughs> so Walt beats these kids at marbles, 
and they go to his Sunday school class. One of them is this kid from a broken home named Howard Hendricks. And so who's ever heard of Walt? <laughs> Nobody. But Walt just worked through the heart of a common person like you and me and uh, drew that little boy, Howard Hendricks, to faith. And Howard Hendricks has had a, he's with the Lord now over 50. He, he influenced my life more than any other seminary prof I had. And there'd be tons of seminary, profs, seminary students would tell you the same thing. Enormous influence for the kingdom of God. Did something way beyond just because what? Walt went out there and played marbles with some boys. And so God can take just the circumstances of your life and who knows what he'll do through the next conversation, through some contact, through whatever. But that's, he's the God of miracles and he does these amazing things. He does so in Ruth. Here's the message this morning. If you follow the Lord Jesus, if you bring every area of your life under his lordship, he is your savior, he is your Lord, he will show great favor. He will fill whatever emptiness you have in your life with his favor, with his blessing, in his time, in his way, but that's who he is. That's the major faith that Ruth showed. That was the blessing that she enjoyed. So let me pray, and then we'll give these lovely gentlemen the chance to lead us in worship, and we'll be closed for this morning. Let's stand together, shall we? And I want to just say um, that, again, if, um, um, if you have never made that personal decision to place your faith in Jesus, maybe this morning would be the day that you would just open your heart and do that. Father, we thank you for the lesson of um, this daughter of yours, Ruth, such an amazing lady. Thank you, Lord, for the way that she set her heart in faith on the Lord, on Yahweh, on our King Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that we uh, can experience the same thing. I want to pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning who maybe just in the privacy of their heart wants to just say to you with their own words, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. I realize that um, I need to trust in you and not anything that I can do, not my works, not my character, not my uh, relationships, but simply, Lord Jesus, what you did in dying on the cross for my sins and in rising from the dead. I trust in you and I receive you as my Savior and I seek to walk with you as my Lord. Lord, I want to pray for the rest of us too that have made that personal decision trusting only in what you have done for us. I want to pray that you would bring breakthroughs in our lives, that we would learn to submit every area of life under your loving kingship because your purposes are good so that we can look back and say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He delights to give good gifts to his children. He delights to fill our emptiness with his fullness. We love you and we serve you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.